Thank you so much. Hallelujah. Yeah, bring those up. Thank you. Glory to God. It is a good morning. Jesus is on the throne. <laughs> Regardless of uh, what's going on in the world, Jesus is enthroned. He is king. He is Lord of all. And that means I don't have to be worried about nothing. That's a double negative. But I don't have to be worried about anything. Because if God is for us, then who can be against us? Come on, it's important to stir yourself up in the word of God. You know, King David was a master at that. He was chased and persecuted most of his adult life, being, being uh, threatened. They tried to kill him. King Saul tried to kill him. And he got into a place where he felt like nobody was for him. But the Bible says that David learned to encourage himself in the Lord. So I tell you what, you're not always going to have a preacher in front of you. You're not always going to be listening to a podcast. You yourself are going to have to learn how to edify and encourage your own spirit in the word of God. And if I can help you in that a little bit today, then hey, we're off to a good start. But you just know this, sometimes when you're in your darkest hour, you have something on the inside of you that you did not know was there. And if you tap into that, tap into the spirit of God, tap into his grace, he'll start bringing those things up from the inside of you and you'll begin to encourage yourself and build yourself up. And before you know it, you're no longer in the pit. You are happy as can be because you've got the joy of the Lord, which is already on the inside of you. And guess what? It is your strength. Thank you, Jesus. All right, so before we get started today, I just want to say thank you to Pastor Mark and Pastor Tasha uh, for giving me the opportunity to uh, present the word to you. I pray that something that is said, something that's spoken this morning would be able to uh, pierce your heart and that you would um, have it affect you and it would change your life because I believe I'm preaching from the word of God and the word of God always, always, always has the power to change, it has the power to transform and that's good news, amen? All right, so Pastor Mark's been in a really awesome series called What About Now? Aren't you thankful for our pastors? Come on. And I'm so thankful for that series. What about now? He's talking about right now. Today is the day of salvation, not tomorrow and not yesterday. The, 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 the ship hasn't sailed. Today is the day of salvation. And when we look at what salvation encompasses, it, it is way more than just going to heaven. And that happens to you right now. He talked about how what we do right now determines what will come next, right? Which is why it's so important to recognize who we are now in Christ, that we are the righteousness of God right now in Christ Jesus, that we are sons, that we are daughters, that we are joint heirs, not someday, but right now. What about now? And we can be partakers of the divine nature of Christ, of the divine nature right now. We have intimate fellowship with the Father right now. We can have intimate relationship with the Word of God right now and with the Spirit of God right now. With an emphasis on faith. Faith for now. Taking things that might seem like someday and bringing them into the realm of now. Right? So what about nine? So what about now? He's been emphasizing faith, and I thought I would talk a little bit more on the subject of faith this morning. He, he, he touched on it. Um, it's, it's actually probably one of the most uh, talked about uh, uh, subjects in all of Christendom because it's one of the only absolutes that remains in the Christian life. There's faith, there's hope, and there's love, right? So faith, um, it's the core foundation on which we build our lives. And something that is that important should be talked about over and over and over again, right? So if I sound redundant, I'm sorry. 
Redundance is the key to effective communication, and God wants his people to know about faith and what it really is. So we're going to talk a little bit more about it this morning, and hopefully something I say resonates with you and you're able to apply it in your life. But again, faith is the core foundation of your walk with Jesus, right? If I'm building my house, if I am pouring the foundation, first of all, I'm not going to do it. I'm going to get somebody who knows what they're doing. I want someone who pours the foundation to have a familiar experiential knowledge with excavating, right, with soils and how they compact, with rebar and with concrete. I want them to really know what they're doing. I don't want them to just know about pouring the foundation. I don't want them to have just watched a three-minute video on YouTube from WikiHow, DIY Three Steps to a Foundation. I want them to have done it over and over again. I want them to be familiar with pouring the foundation. Why? Because my house the thing I'm putting my daughter and my wife in, it stands on that foundation. And if it falls, it probably can be traced back to the integrity of the foundation. Listen, the integrity and the strength of your walk with Jesus determine, is determined by the integrity and the strength of your foundation, which would be faith. Amen? It would be faith. So... Uh, it's, it's crucial for us to know what faith is, what its purpose is, and how you apply it in your life, okay? Romans 10, 17 says this, that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. That word hearing comes from uh, the Greek word akuo, which means to understand, to understand. So let me rephrase that. Faith comes by hearing and understanding, by the word of God. It's not enough to just hear me say something or hear God speak to you. You have to get to the point where you understand it. So here's a great question. How many times do I need to hear something? Well, until I understand it. And by understanding, I'm not talking about this thing that we, that we call mental assent. Mental assent is when I hear the word of God and I just agree with it, but I don't allow it to have any impact on my life. That's what mental assent is. And sadly, a lot of Christians, and even myself sometimes, are stay in this realm of mental assent where you would say, you know, hey, God, I read that scripture up on the screen. It's wonderful. In fact, well-phrased, even poetic. I might put it on my Instagram. But then I just leave it at that. And I could see God in heaven kind of going, well, it's a good start, but when are we going to get to the point where you actually do it, right? So we want to we take this journey out of the realm of mental ascent. Listen, the greatest journey you'll ever go on in your life as a Christian is not a seven-day tour of the Holy Land, although that would be awesome. It's not to the top of Machu Picchu. Machu Picchu. It's, not, uh, it's not even the journey of self-discovery. It's the journey from here to here. It's about 18 inches from your head to your heart out of the realm of mental ascent into the realm of revelation and true heart knowledge. It's one thing to have head knowledge. It's another thing to have heart knowledge, right? So we're going on this journey from something that I just agree with to something that I know is true and something that I apply in my life. I say it's even better than the journey of self-discovery because when you make it your journey to move out of this realm of concepts and ap to application, the, uh, uh, um, 
you begin to read the word, you begin to build your faith and apply it, listen, God will actually show you who you really are and your identity is found in him. That's kind of a buzzword, the journey of self-discovery. Well, listen, God knows who you are. Um, <laughs> um, you don't have to discover it. You just have to discover Jesus and he'll tell you who you are, all right? So let's dive into this subject of faith real quick. Um, I, won't, I won't teach for very long this morning. Um, I got about 30 minutes. Um, but before we jump into the subject of faith, I want to ask you this question. What's the big idea? What's the big idea? If you're older than me, you, prob you probably have watched a show called The Three Stooges um, growing up at some point in your life. And if you've ever watched The Three Stooges, that's a phrase that they say multiple times every single episode. When one of them gets in trouble or hurt or there's a prank, it's always, hey, what's the big idea? Right? What's the big idea? idea. So um, I'm asking you that today. And if we cut through all the, all the fine points of scripture and all the, the theological arguments and the differences of doctrine, I want to know what's at the very core, what's the very essence of the Christian life? What is the big idea? Why are you here on this earth? Why are you a Christian? What's the core? What's the essence? What is the big idea? So if you tried to answer that question, you might say, well, Jonathan, the big idea is going to heaven, all right? Or the big idea is getting blessed, or the big idea is not sinning. And although I can't disagree with those, you know, uh, we, those are benefits of salvation, going to heaven, being blessed, and you know what? You should live a life uh, relatively free from sin. But that is still not the big idea. The big idea. And I think that an answer to this question could be found in the pages of history. We'll take a quick history lesson. It's during the 16th century Protestant Reformation. And that's when basically the church got shaken up, right? Shake up the ground of all my tradition, break down the walls of all my religion. That was a great time. The Protestant Reformation is when a lot of that stuff got shaken up. There was a guy named Martin Luther, if you know who he was. And he basically challenged the church. The word Protestant comes, you know, the root word of that is protest and reformation, reform. So... They were protesting what was going on, and they wanted reformation. Uh, the church was basically taking in a lot of money and, and uh, saying, if you pay us, then you will uh, get to heaven. There was a lot of things happening. Martin Luther challenged that. So the 16th century Protestant Reformation was huge in answering this question. So during their movement, all of these Protestants had to really make crystal clear um, the core and the essence of their movement and their ministry because the entire world, the Catholic Church, everyone was watching because they were shaking things up and they wanted an answer. So they had to be very clear about what the essence and the core, what the big idea of this new movement was. And out of that deliberation process, there was a phrase that they coined and Martin Luther used it. It's a Latin phrase and the phrase is this, Coram Deo. C-O-R-A-M-D-E-O. -E it's a Latin phrase, Coram Deo. And that literally means before the face of God. Before the face of God. So as they deliberated out of that Protestant Reformation, they thought, you know what? Here's the thing. Here's the big idea. The core, the essence of Christian life should be lived Coram Deo. Before the face of God. And what Martin Luther was trying to explain was it should be open and in the light. We as Christians should live before his face, under his authority, and for his glory and for his honor. That is the essence 
of Christian life. Jesus summed it up even better. In John 14, he said this, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. In other words, if you desire to be pleasing, then you'll do things my way. You'll obey. So, let's recap. The big idea, well, let me just submit this to you for your consideration. Maybe, maybe, just maybe, the big idea is that our life is not what we can get from God, but it's what we can give him. Come on. It's what we can give him. It's to be obedient. It's to be well-pleasing. And I know that sounds crazy, and sometimes it might be kind of a bummer because that puts the responsibility back on us. And life isn't just about good vibes and swaths of grace and using the Bible as a self-help book. Jesus was pretty clear on the subject. Come on. Jesus didn't say, embrace yourself. Jesus said, deny yourself. Pick up your cross and follow me. Come on. We're, we've been reading through the Gospels in our, in our uh, uh, staff devotions. And I would encourage you to read the Gospels pretty thoroughly. And you understand that as much as Jesus was compassionate, he was, he was to the point And he basically said, hey, you're going to have to deny yourself, deny all these things. And you're going to have to pick up your cross and you're going to have to follow me. And if you can't do that, well, I'm sorry. And so, listen, the Bible is, when we read the Bible, it's about becoming more like Jesus. It's about self-denial, not just about self-help but about how I deny myself and how I can look more like Jesus. And the big idea, the big idea is living a life before his face, under his authority, and to his glory. Coram Deo, right? That's the big idea. So pleasing God should be the overall goal of your Christian life. If you're still struggling with this idea I'm going to help you a little bit further. I'll expound a little bit further. Colossians 1, 9, and 10. We have not ceased to pray for you to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. 1 Thessalonians 4. Finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you are doing, that you do so even more that you do so even more. Pleasing God was the goal of Paul's ministry. 2 Corinthians 5.9. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to what? Please him. 1 Thessalonians 2.4. So we speak not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. Galatians 1.10. For, for I am now seeking the approval of man or of God. Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Pleasing God summarized Jesus' entire ministry, right? When he got baptized in the Jordan, the Holy Spirit came upon him like a dove. What did God say? Matthew 3, 17. And behold, a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. John 8, 29. And he who sent me is with me. He who has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. I need a drink of water. All right, are you still with me? So we'll briefly scratch the surface on the big idea. We already talked about the big idea of life, but we're going to talk about the big idea of faith, all right? When we get down to the nitty-gritty, right? When we get down to brass tacks, 
What is the main purpose of faith? And what's the promise of faith? How do those two, how do those two things correlate? And there's this gray area that we, cre- that we create in between the two a lot of times. It's, it's this gray area between the purpose of faith and the promise of faith. And I would love to just hopefully clear that up a little bit for us this morning. Um, it's important to know the purpose of something. Why? Because when purpose is not known, abuse is inevitable. If you don't know why something was created and what it was created for, you're going to abuse it. And let me present this to you for your consideration. You could misuse and even abuse your faith for the wrong things. So it's important to know what it is and what its purpose is. I'll give you a story to illustrate my point. When I was in high school, alongside you know the 20 teachers that I had, I had another teacher and he was called my advisory teacher. His name was Mr. Yates. And he basically was in charge of a group of us um, teenagers, and he was there to advise us, counsel us, help us grow, help us with our school. Um, And that's exactly what he did. He was a great advisory teacher. And I remember one day he said, listen, guys, I want to take you on a field trip to something that might be applicable in your life later. Because as much as, you know, we learn about in school, you know, the mitochondria is the powerhouse of the cell. Unless you're a scientist, that's not really going to help you later on in life. And he knew that. And so he said, hey, I want to take you on a field trip. We're going to go to the Parachute Creek gas plant. And it's going to be awesome, right? And uh, we kind of sat there and we wondered why. And he said, well, this is is a a field, a career opportunity that I believe some of you can can go into. And it's very well paying. And and we'd like to just go on a tour of it so you guys can be more informed and make a decision. We all sat there. None of us wanted to go to the Parachute Creek gas plant. And I remember one girl in in my grade stood up and she said, Mr. Yates, if we go, can we get Sonic on the way back? And he goes, well, I thought you guys would just pack your own lunch. She goes, Mr. Yates, I say, if we get to go to Sonic, we'll go. And he looked at us and we're like, yeah, that sounds like a good idea. And so we, you know, got our permission permission slips uh, signed and we turned them in and we went to the Parachute Creek gas plant. And on the way back, I got a cherry limeade and a number two. And it was so awesome. But the whole time I was at the Parachute Creek gas plant, I was not thinking about the Parachute Creek gas plant. I was thinking about Sonic. See, the purpose of the trip was to learn about the gas plant. The promise added, the benefit added to the trip was the promise of a cherry limeade at Sonic. And I got in my head that the promise was more more important than the purpose of the trip. None of us got anything from that trip except a full stomach from Sonic. So what I'm saying to you this morning is that God has given us a purpose to our faith, but there's also a promise attached to our faith. And if we get too caught up in the promise, we'll misuse and abuse the purpose. Amen? So when it comes to faith, the big idea... The overarching purpose is found in Hebrews 11.6. Hebrews 11.6, the first part of it says this, without faith, it is impossible to please God. So we've already established the main idea of life, to live quorum Deo, to live well-pleasing to Him. And that's an impossibility without faith. Let's keep reading that verse. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So your faith was given to you by God so you can first of all believe that he exists. 
all right? And then make the choice to act upon that belief and seek him out, all right? So here's an idea. Belief and faith are completely different, all right? It's not enough to just believe. That's kind of like mental ascent. If you told me, Jonathan, I believe that that chair right there, it's well-made, it's got a good cushion, I believe it's sturdy, I believe it's strong, I believe it can hold my weight. I'd say, prove it. And what would you have to do? You would have to go sit in the chair to validate your belief. Faith is exactly that. It's acting on that belief. If I want to be pleasing to God, it's not enough to just say, hey, I believe you exist. I prove it with my actions. I prove it with how I pattern my life. And that's what Hebrews 11.1 is all about. Hebrews 11.1 says this. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for. It's the evidence of things not seen. I love that word substance. It means tangible. It means something I can see. It means something I can touch. That's what validates your hope. It's what validates your belief. All right? So faith is substance and faith is evidence. So before I move on, I want to clear this up. I am very well aware of this fact. And I'm not suggesting that you are saved by works. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says that we are saved by grace through faith. And James 2, 4 actually says this, without, wor without works, your faith is dead. So is that a contradiction? No. Let me, here's, the, here's the big idea, okay? I'm only made righteous through the blood of Jesus and what he did, not what I do. But here's, here's, the, here's the kicker. Works do not cause my salvation. Works are the evidence of my salvation. Make sense? They're the evidence. Evidence to who? Well, to God. Faith isn't about God proving himself to us per se. It's about us proving ourselves to him, using our faith to live well-pleasing lives before him, living quorum Deo. It's about saying, Jesus, I believe that you're Lord and that you're master, that you have a plan for my life. And I'm willing to obey. I surrender to your will and then actually doing it. Actually doing it. And that's, when we make that decision, that's why God has given us his Holy Spirit and why God has given us grace so we can actually live out what we say we believe. Yes. The Holy Spirit and grace, that's a whole nother subject for a whole nother day. Um, we could talk about that, but uh, we're, we're, we're going with faith here. So without faith, it's impossible to please God. That word faith comes from the Greek word pistos, um, which simply means trust but it also means trustworthiness. So the definition of that phrase, of that word is actually a double-sided coin. Um, so if I'm gonna be pleasing to God, well, I gotta learn to trust him. And I have to be building my trustworthiness with him. That's how covenant works. Both sides are contributing to the equation, to the agreement. But here's the reality, God he already fulfilled his portion of the covenant. He already, pour, he already proved his character and his love and his trustworthiness when he sent Jesus to die for our sins and reconcile us back to him. So he's already fulfilled his side of the covenant. So if I'm going to be pleasing to God, I'm going to have to work on my trustworthiness. But there's still an aspect of building my trust in him. 
So how do I do that? How do we build trust in him? Well, let's re- reverse engineer that, that scripture a little bit. Hebrews eleven six. right? Without faith, it's impossible to please God. So how do I please God? Well, I listen and I obey. And I'm not going to listen to someone I don't trust. I'm not going to trust someone I don't know. So this whole concept of being pleasing to God boils back down to knowing him. It boils back down to relationship. If I'm going to be pleasing to my father, it means I'm going to have relationship. I'm going to know him. And if I know him, I'm going to trust him. And if I trust him, I'm going to obey him. And if I obey him, guess what? I am well pleasing. And that whole thing is this concept and this idea of faith. Amen? I grow. So when I, when, I grow, when I grow in relationship with my father, my faith is strengthened and it's increased. And I grow. And listen, God doesn't want you to just follow orders, okay? God is not obsessed with control. God is obsessed with you. God is obsessed with your well-being. God is obsessed with your victory in your life. He doesn't want you uh, uh, broken and, and, and just, just sitting there without any hope. God wants you to live a life of significance and a life of victory. But here's the caveat. Here's the catch. All of that can only be achieved if you do things his way. So here, here, here's the deal. Here's the big idea. When we talk about living a life well-pleasing to God, the reason why he wants to take pleasure in your obedience is because when you obey him, your life is the best that it can be. It all boils back down to relationship. He cares about you so much. He's not obsessed with control. He's obsessed with you. Amen? Amen. That can only be experienced if we do things his way. If you love me, you'll keep my commands. You'll do things my way. By faith. So, do you want to know what else brings pleasure to God? Giving you the kingdom. Okay? This is the promised portion of the message I said I'd get to. Um, There's that gray area we talked about between purpose and promise. It's caused when we misprioritize our faith and we use it for promises rather than its original purpose, which is to please him. Matthew 6.33 says, But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. He... There's another account of this in Luke, and I even like the scripture after it. It says, uh, Luke 12, 31 and 32, but seek the kingdom of God and all these things shall be added to you. Verse 32, do not fear, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. So this is a perfect example of the right order of purpose and promise, right? The purpose is to seek the kingdom. The purpose is to seek after righteousness. The promise is these things will be added unto you. If you read the scriptures before that, it was talking about wants. Um, it was talking about where they were going to sleep and what they were going to wear and what they were going to eat. Listen, God is concerned with those things. God knows what you need. God knows what you want. God even desires to give you the desires of your heart. But those are all benefits of the true purpose of faith, which is being pleasing, which is living a life quorum deo. Amen? Amen. So they're given to us as a benefit of relationship. So if I'm living a life of obedience that's pleasing to him, and when he's pleased, he takes great delight in giving us the blessings that he's promised us. They're promises of the kingdom of God. Amen? Here, you can write this down. The purpose of increasing my faith is not increased stuff. It's not an increase of blessing. It's an increase of obedience. So I can be pleasing to my father the big idea of your faith 
is to be pleasing. But that comes down to relationship. Again, I'm not going to listen to someone I don't trust, and I'm not going to trust someone I don't know. I want to know Jesus more. I want to know my Father more. So what I am not saying is don't ask God for anything. Don't you dare believe for a promise. (laughs) I believe we should be doing those things. I believe you should be extending your faith for those promises that we see in the word. I think it's a good thing to speak over your finances, to speak over your health. What Alan talked about, right on. I am 100% in agreement. Absolutely. But we, it's all about the divine order and process. If I'm asking God to bless me and I've not given any consideration to how I've patterned my life, then it's backwards. I should be far more concerned in growing in my relationship with my father than getting things from my father. So at the end of the day, <laughs> he desires to give you those things anyways. But it's all about the divine order, purpose, and promise. And before I wrap up, I'll just tell you a a personal story. Uh, When I learned how to drive in high school, um, I got a car, and it was a Kia Spectra. And it wasn't the nicest for me at the time, but now looking back on it, that was a great first vehicle. And I was stupid. but I, what I did when I drove is I took every opportunity to leave the house. And I started treating the house like a pit stop, going when I needed something and then leaving. And I would pile my friends in, but not into my car. I wanted my dad's car, so it was nicer. And so I'd say, Dad, I'm going to the movies. Can I take your car and can I take your wallet? And uh, yeah, and he's my dad and he liked blessing me. So he he gave me those things from time to time. And I developed a pattern of, first of all, treating the house like a pit stop. Second of all, not even using my vehicle and then, and using his, and then taking his money. I was a great kid. Um, (laughs) And that pattern continued even through college. And then I came home and I was like like a bum and I lived with my parents um, for quite a long time. And I got a better vehicle, so I stopped that. I was like, you know what, I'll drive my vehicle now. But every now and again, it was still nice to ask my dad for something. And uh, I still treated the house like a pit stop. And uh, I remember one day, he, um, he called me. I didn't answer. He called me, left a voicemail. Um, and he asked if I wanted to go see a movie. And I was like, what? <laughs> What's going on? And uh, I remember I saved that voicemail because it's one of the last times I ever heard him speak. And I have like a bunch of his voicemails saved in my phone. So if you call me and the inbox is full, that's why I've saved about 10 of his messages. And so I remember him calling me and saying, hey, I, I want to uh, go see a movie. I said, all right. So I go to this movie with him. He pays for everything. We see the movie. It's amazing. And... We're driving home, and I remember I had the audacity to ask him this question. I said, so what's the occasion? What's the occasion? And he looked at me, he says, what do you mean, what's the occasion? I'm your dad. I want to hang out with you. And it was at that moment when I made this heartbreaking revelation and mistake that I had valued the gift over the gift giver. And I had valued presence, right, over his presence. 
And it was my right to ask for those things. I'm a son. I have a right. But just because I have a right to do something doesn't mean I should. Treating the house like a pit stop. When the whole goal of the son is to know the father, not to get things from the father. So in the coming weeks before he passed, I was able to make things right. And I kind of painted it like me and my dad had a bad relationship. We had a very good relationship, but... Um, when I look back at it, I could have treated some things differently, and this was an instance. And I was able to, to uh, get that relationship back to where it needed to be before he passed, and it was good, and it's under the blood, and I'm forgiven. Um, but I share that with you so you don't make that same mistake of valuing his blessings um, over his presence. That you'd be able to understand that the big idea of your life is to be with him. Because when you're with him, you know him, and you trust him, and then you do things his way. And then this whole idea of living quorum Deo becomes that much easier and that much more attainable. Purpose over promise. Your faith was given to you so you can please your father. Amen? So every head bowed, every eye closed, I want to give an opportunity this morning we talk about this and we talk about living a life well-pleasing to God, well, first and foremost, you've got to have a relationship with him. And if you're here this morning, I want to give you that opportunity if you've never made, G- made Jesus the Lord of your life, which is that idea of surrender and saying, I want to do things your way. Like the song that we sang, your way is better. Your way is better. If that's you, maybe you're watching online and you were moved and you think, you know what? I want to live a life like that. I want to surrender my my life to Jesus. I want to make him the Lord of my life. If that's you, um, and if you're in this room, why don't you go ahead and just raise your hand. Let me just slip it up. Um, And if you're watching online, um, uh, you just pray this prayer with us. Um, Let's all just pray this together. Say, Lord Jesus, I surrender. Tired of doing things my way. Your way is better. Jesus, I believe that you died for me and you rose again for me so that I could have newness of life. So right now, I declare you as Lord. I declare you as Master. Here's my heart. It's yours. Take it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Well, if you, if you prayed that prayer, um, even online, let somebody know. We're going to have altar care workers up here. And just let them know. We'd like to give you some resources, some materials. It's not, we're not selling you anything. We're just giving you something that helps you understand more about the decision that you made um, to make Jesus the Lord of your life. Amen. Why don't you guys stand up with us? Stand up with me. <laughs> Thank you guys for listening. Um, appreciate it. Um, I encourage you to come back tonight. Um, Seth Gunter is going to be bringing the word. He's a missionary to Croatia. They're doing an awesome work over there. Come back tonight. He's got some good stuff. Um, I think that's it. All right, why don't you guys say this as we go. What God did in Christ Jesus far exceeds any damage done to me by Adam's fall. Make it a great day. We'll see you at 6.